welcome to another episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nathan. What's good, Nathan? So not a whole lot to discuss. Um, we're kind of in a lull period in the NBA. So wh- what did you think about Bradley Beal's inclusion on third-team All-NBA? Uh, the <laughs> results came out last you know, night. The, the funny thing about that is Bradley Beal was the only name I got wrong. The rest of my teams were exactly as uh, it panned out. Even the right team selection? Even the right players on first team. Oh, because right you put on LeBron team. on second and Randall yep. on third. So I had that miss. Wait, but then I also – oh, you also had Kawhi and Dame, right? Yep. Damn, and I had that wrong. And then I had uh, PG out and Zion in, I think, right? Was That was my final. I had, I had Zion in, too, instead yep. of uh, Beal. But kidding, we're not going to talk all NBA teams. But holy shit, dude. The last 24 hours, like, you know how they always joke, like, this hashtag this league, all this other BS. But, like, this is why they do that joke. Like, I think – Anything that could happen has happened in uh, the last day. Basically refreshing Twitter feeds like it's the first day of free agency and Woj is just showing off. So where do you want to start? Uh, we have not, for, for everyone listening, we've done absolutely zero prep because I have no idea what you're going to say about anything. I have no idea what you want to talk about and vice versa. So where do you want to start? Because on top of everything that just happened in the day and previous night, the Sixers just blew a 26-point lead to lose to the <laughs> Hawks and dropped it 3-2. So... Just to give people a frame of reference, we're recording this right now. The Jazz and the Clippers are playing. It is 58-49 Jazz with five minutes left in the second. So we'll keep an eye on that. But where do you want to where do you want to kick things off? The first thing I want to say is I woke up this morning, and obviously a lot of this news breaks first for you because you're two hours ahead of me. And the first thing I do when I pull up your phone, you know, you go on Twitter. I was on NBA Reddit, and then I just see news bomb after news bomb, uh, CP3 and COVID protocol, uh, Kawhi's injury. And I swear to God, for a split second, I was like, is today April 1st? Like, I literally thought, is this an April Fool's joke? Because what are the odds all this crazy stuff's happening at once? Um, But that being said, where I want to start, it has to start with Durant. We have to talk about Durant. We have to talk about the Nets. And I am ready to eviscerate the Bucs. And I can't (laughs) wait to eviscerate the Bucs. But the, the first thing I'll say about Durant, you know, we know it's an incredible game. There's been so much talked about it. There are players in the NBA who we root for, we root against. Like, there are players you hate, Kyrie being one of them. Mm-hmm. There are players I hate. I've hated Steph. I've hated Durant. But there's a certain point when a player is playing so well and dominating where you just, you become a fan. Yep. And I remember this vividly when I was uh, at the Kings-Warriors game when Klay Thompson went off for 37 in the quarter. You know, I was rooting for the Kings, and at first I was totally, you know, upset that he started making shot after shot. But when he hit like at that 20 point, 25 point mark, I was standing up and clapping for every three he hit. So the first thing I want to say is I have never really liked Kevin Durant, never really rooted for him. But this last game, I was in awe and just could not believe what I was seeing. And I wanted to see how far he could push it. He was hitting three after three, bucket after bucket. And it's just, it's a Kevin Durant we haven't seen in the last several years, you know, whatever. He, did, he was really good in Golden State, but it never felt like he had to take it to the next level. And I know it's a product of injuries and Kyrie and Harden, technically, if they were there, wouldn't have been the same. But all I got to say is, wow, man, like that game was a masterpiece performance by Kevin Durant. I mean, it is absolutely one of the, you know, five to ten best played games really in, in modern history. When you think about 
who he was down, you know, in terms of his his you know Kyrie Irving. But then James Harden was there, but you know James Harden was horrible last night, so it was almost better if he didn't play. Uh, we could talk about whether that decoy presence had a positive or negative effect or no effect. But like you said, he wasn't. He he's always had superhuman abilities, right? He won the MVP back in 2014. He won like multiple scoring titles before the age of 25, being you know one of the youngest ever to do so. He just hasn't been asked to bring it out in five years. And so the fact that he put on the cape tonight after what was the best part about to me was after game uh, four, right? When he went six of 19, PJ Tucker, blah, 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 all this bullshit. You got the fucking the TV analyst going bananas over the fact that he could never do this. And this is like if this was LeBron tables turned, et cetera, et cetera, like trying to build the, you know, the weakest straw mans of all time. He comes in, and this dude's a killer, right? He always has been. Like we said, just because he put himself into non-killer type situations <laughs> team-wise doesn't mean he doesn't have that individual mentality. Um, it was on full display. You know, they were down, was it 17 at the, at the most? But I think 15 at the half, then 17 early in the third. I guess the biggest thing I had an issue with was, okay, we need to give him his flowers before we switch to the Bucks because yep. as crazy as he was, it did really feel like this was avoidable uh, in like every single turn in this game. Um, but, you know, the play of the game that everyone's going to talk about, everyone's going to remember is when Harden foolishly dribbled out 22 seconds of the shot clock, throws it to Duran, who does some crazy double clutch three. And I think that put them up four. Right. So that yep. was kind of like the nail in the coffin. Um he ends up missing one of two free throws there at the end, which, you know, gave the Bucks a glimmer of hope. But um, I don't know what to say. Like, it's hard to have a legacy-defining game such as this so early in the playoffs. Like, it's round two. Um, it's game five, so it's not even a closeout game. Uh, they are still down Kyrie. They're still going to get a hobbled version of Harden. This series is not over, right? I don't know that either you or I would pick the Bucks at this point, but... If it goes to seven, let's just say I wouldn't be shocked. Um, I, I think I expect it to go to seven, and fr frankly, just given you know Milwaukee's back home, two days, you know, just one day rest from what those guys put in. But the forty-eight minutes, I think the biggest thing for me was just not even the scoring. It was that he controlled defensively. Yep. Uh, he was their primary rim protector. He was in the passing lanes. I think he had three steals, two blocks. Like he was flying around, and for a guy who didn't even sit for a moment, it was. The type of game we've only really gotten from LeBron, uh, that two-way dominance, and, and Kawhi, I'd say. Durant has always had it in his bag. He's just never needed to. So, I mean, as a basketball fan, if you were not pleased with last night, you don't actually love this game. It was not even defensively, only defensively. It was offensively, outside of the shooting, yeah. uh, the passing, the off-ball movement, everything. He had the whole game kind of in his control. Because, uh, look, we can talk about Harden, too. Harden was abysmal. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe it still helped to have him out there to get these guys kind of juiced up, motivated. You know, at least he's been in these moments before, so you can have faith in him handling the ball. I don't know. He looked bad. But ultimately, Kevin Durant was asked to, to play make, asked to rebound, asked to score, and asked to play defense. And I don't... And I think what made this game so great, like you said, is that it was on both ends. One of the things people don't talk enough about LeBron's game six against Boston was how good he was defensively in that game as well. And so that two-way performance, and we hadn't, Kevin Durant's been a good defender, but this year, especially in the regular season, he hasn't been the same. And obviously there's been a lot written about Brooklyn's defense and how bad they've been. And a lot of that can be attributed to Kevin Durant. Um, 
but the playoffs, he's really turned it up. And I think this is the, the best version of Durant that we're getting. And it's crazy that we're getting it after the Achilles injury, after we thought maybe his career yeah. may never be the same. Yeah. And I mean, I think the Achilles injury is something we've been reminded of time and again this year when he's played, but then he missed like over half the season. Right. So it started to creep back into our minds. Like, okay, you know, it, he didn't miss time for the Achilles specifically, but you can see his body is a little weaker. You can see he might not be an 82 game player, or 70, even a 70 game player. And for him to go the f- 48 minutes, put the bucks in catatonic shock. Like, I don't even understand. I mean, maybe we just go to the bucks right now. Cause we, we, we both want to go there, but let's do it. I, I don't, I don't understand what they were doing defensively at any point, but especially in the fourth quarter, um, when they still had a bit of a lead to protect, it got down like, you know, six, eight points, but it was still clearly in the balance for them to win. Before I go any further, I know you want to lay into him, so I'll just give you the floor right back. Where do I start? Well, first of all, I got to say, that was one of the most pathetic performances <laughs> I have ever seen in my life. I have never been more mad for a team that, for a non-Kings, non-LeBron team, I have never gotten so frustrated and so angry rooting for a team in the playoffs as I was for the Milwaukee Bucks. That was a train wreck across all levels. Now, I don't know where you want to start because I, I want to eviscerate Giannis. I want to eviscerate Bud. I want to eviscerate just the entire team. Where do let you want ask, to start? So let me ask you this really quickly because I think this is something I spent a lot of time thinking through, right? Like Giannis is where I want to start because he's the most influential. He's the one that can actually like effectuate change the most on both this season, this series, as well as the Bucks franchise moving forward. Let's start there because to me, are we asking him or are we eviscerating him because we know this greater version is inside of him, given everything he's done regular season wise, or are we eviscerating him because we think he's actually not a great, you know, superstar in this league? I think we eviscerate him because for any player of Giannis's stature who wants to be thought of as a top three top five guy in the NBA who's won two MVPs who's put up who's compared to Shaq that's the most frequent comp you get to see him so useless in late game important playoff situations I think people are not it's just it's sad to see because look Giannis we know his flaws as a player it's not like he just forgot to shoot this last couple games or we he forgot to um you know uh, his post moves he's always had these limitations I think the the more frustrating thing is that every year it seems like after the postseason struggles, he's coming out a little bit more aggressive. You know, he started shooting more threes this year. He still doesn't make him out of right, the right clip, but it seems like he's kind of expanding his game. He has a dominant regular season, but then when he gets to the playoffs, he goes to his simple bag of tricks, which is, you know, pound the ball from outside, barrel to the rim, maybe do a little Euro step and, and hope you get the calls that you get in the regular season. And, Teams are too smart to defend that. And I I just don't think, I think what we're learning is that this version of Giannis, and what I mean by this version is, unless he makes a massive improvement in his shooting or playmaking or some aspect of his game, will never be a 1A player. I don't care if he's a two-time MVP. He is always only going to be the second best player on a team or second most important player on a playoff team, the way he's playing. And if, if that's the case, Milwaukee screwed because this is the team they're locked into. They're not getting a player better to pair up Giannis with. 
And so I don't, unless Giannis makes massive leaps, which he clearly hasn't done these last three seasons, where do they go from here? I think, I think the problem is that to me, everyone talks about the Shaq comparisons, where they fall or the fact that he's a center or whatever, where they kind of ring hollow is that Shaq had a incredible low post game. He had moves. He had the, you know, baby hook. He had the drop step. Other than physicality, I don't know that Giannis has a you know necessary way to get a good look at the bucket. Like when he was posting up Harden, Harden actually waved off the yeah. end. And Harden's a good post defender; he's solid, but he couldn't move last night, right? So like it was very clear that you know they should be attacking him way more than they did. But it's so crazy because on one hand, it's like Giannis had thirty four and twelve in the series, or sorry, in the playoffs, he's averaging twenty seven and thirteen on like fifty three percent shooting. It's like those are historic numbers on their own. Um, we know the positive uh, elements he brings to the court in terms of the Bucks on off rating, in terms of all the advanced numbers. This is where it starts to get really confusing because I don't know that we've ever evaluated a player as good and productive as, as Giannis with such a critical lens. And I don't think that, that it's the critical lens is wrong because at the end of the day, like you said, if he's trying to be a top three player, that comes with a certain amount of responsibilities and also comes with a certain amount of um, – limitations for the rest of your roster because you're paying this guy 200 you know 200 250 million dollar contract whatever it was and so that's where it gets really really dicey um at the same time you know i think he should frankly abandon the shooting pursuit a little bit because i don't know that it's going to come whether it's his form whether it's his um you know his hands or he's too big whatever it might be it doesn't seem like it's working for him and his effort is admirable but it's really detracting the offense. And I think he tries to prove a point that he can be an ISO scorer at the top of the key. And that gets Milwaukee in a ton of trouble. Um, But, you know, look, Middleton is a guy that's on a max deal and Drew's a guy on a max deal. Are they as good as Giannis? No, but they're getting paid like all-stars and neither of them have been very good. Uh, Yeah. You know, Middleton was really good in game four, but then he struggles to bring that every night. And he gets paid over $30 million a year. So what? Like, in some ways, it's like, yes, this is on Giannis. But in some ways, it's like, does this roster construction make sense around him? It, look, we can talk about the roster construction, but it still comes down to Giannis. Because Middleton and Drew, they're, you can't, they're not going to be reliable scoring threats night in, night out. Middleton, <laughs> Why do they make $35 million a year then? When I say reliable, I mean, they're not giving you 25 a game, right? They're, uh, Middleton especially will give you 31 game, maybe 15 another. I, but this team was still close to winning. Like this team has been uh, was close to winning this game. I know they blew game one and game two completely, but Giannis, like you said, he has no skill, elite skills right now. The lack of post moves is killing him because right now elite scoring skills. Let's say other than like transition, he was apparently he was nine for nine in the paint last night, right? So you look at the yeah. box score, you look at the the shot chart, and you're like, this guy can't be stopped. But the reality is a lot of that was in the first half. In the second half, they drop they drop the defenders. They threaten him to shoot. He doesn't shoot. He gets a um, he builds up speed, but they're they're well equipped to kind of get you know. Yeah, they have the wall built, right? They have the wall built, and then uh, he's got no moves to kind of throw you off, right? He's got the euro step. That's the only move he uses. He does that little euro step and tries to use his length to go over you. And you can only rely on that so much. It's not 2K where you spam like, I think it's like square, square. I love doing this in 2K. Um, you can't keep doing that. Actually, my 2K character does do what Giannis does, which is just tumble over into like a heap <laughs> of the other players. 
Or if you want to do that move over and over again, have a jump shot to get the defense to creep up, right? And then you get that first step on them and go straight to the basket. But no one respects the jump shot. And and at the end of the day, you're superstar. I don't care. You could talk about Middleton and Holiday all you want. But if Giannis had a couple more tricks in his bag, they could be going to the, the conference finals. They could be going to the NBA finals. And they could potentially win. Like, this team is not as far off as we think. That's the, the crazy truth. It's just bad coaching and a superstar who's extremely limited that's holding them back. And all so, you can talk about all the other pieces, but at the end of the day, that's... So zooming out the big picture, I'm not worried for him because he's 25 or 26. He's already a two-time MVP. Like, we've seen guys been able to break through um, around the 27, 28, 29 range, right? That's happened with uh, Jordan. It happened with LeBron. Um, Kobe won early, but, you know, different situation because he had Shaq. But, you know, I'm not worried from, from him, like, career-wise, but I am worried zooming into this series and like even the next year or two when they have this capped out team, because I'm looking at it like you, you saw this exact issue come up in Miami, right? The Miami series last year in the bubble. And you came back with the same game. Um, you didn't add anything. You didn't become a better three point shooter. You didn't become a better free throw shooter. You didn't add any low post moves. You didn't figure out how to score in the half court. You got a better team around you with drew holiday with, um, you know, PJ Tucker, with Bobby Portis, a couple other rotational guys that was a better team this year, right? I thought, um, even though they finished with the one seed last year, I thought this one was deeper, more versatile, better shooting. And Brooklyn's a great team, but this isn't even the great version of Brooklyn. Yep. If they had kept their guys, this would have been a sweep. Like, there's good night. Like, I think yep. if Kyrie and Harden didn't get hurt, I mean, Harden played 43 seconds game one, and in this game, he played 46 minutes and was totally useless. So he's effectively not been in this series. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think every time the Bucks have won, it's felt like this painful process that's just like, I don't even know how that happened. Um, and it would be very hard-pressed for them to win two more games, which brings me to Bud, right? Because Bud's gone if this series is over. I think he's probably gone if they even don't get out of the East, in my opinion, just because they've seen this limitation. And if they win, let's say, this series, you can kind of paint that up to like, well, the you know Nets got hurt and therefore you got lucky. Bud is like, I feel like him and Doc Rivers are very similar because you know how you talked about an embarrassed, you've never seen that embarrassing of a loss. I think we topped that somehow tonight with the Philly loss to the Hawks at home up 26. Um, and clearly the better team with the best player in, in the series, which, you know, the Bucs can't say they had. Both of those guys are, I don't know what, how this happens, but they're totally incapable of making any kind of in game adjustment, you know? PJ Tucker's getting cooked. They don't move off, uh, move him off Durant. Uh, Brooke Lopez is getting destroyed on switches. They leave him out there, and he's not going to be able to. You know, he's playing drop coverage. He's not going to be able to come all the way up to contest Durant on those jumpers. And, like you have a DPOI, you have other guys you can try. Like figure out a version that takes the ball out of Durant's hands. Like double him, make Harden make the play. Like he can't even move, or make Joe Harris shoot the three when he hasn't been playing well, and not recognizing for four quarters what to do differently. I really wonder if there's a world in which this same team can work with better play design on the offensive end and smarter defensive principles um, on that end, especially come playoff time when you can't just trot out the same result and guarantee, you know, walk into 55 wins. Absolutely. I mean, the first half they were running their, their sets. They're running some plays. Giannis was getting to the rim. They looked good, right? 
Brooklyn makes a little bit of an adjustment and the Bucks have no counter. And I don't, and you know, you mentioned a lot of good points. I don't, the Brooke Lopez minutes are just infuriating. And I don't understand what the value of Brooke Lopez is because clearly on defense, he's not able, like you said, they're playing that drop coverage. He's not providing any sort of rim protection, even when they are driving. Um, and then on offense, if you're going to play a guy like Brooke Lopez in a series where Brooklyn is going really small, Take advantage of that mismatch. Go down low. I know this is something like Ch- Charles Barkley was saying, and it sounds like such a stupid analysis, but putting Lopez out on the three-point line only benefits Brooklyn. They can even put, there are times where they put Harden on Lopez, right? And you could hide him essentially because all he has to do is kind of get an arm out and Lopez isn't consistent enough to drill some of those long threes anyway. So what are you playing him for? He's not bringing anything offensively. He's not doing anything defensively. And then... Uh, at the end of the game, Giannis, I know Giannis doesn't, his value isn't being a kind of all-around defender, kind of that safety. He's not supposed to be a guy who goes one-on-one. So, you know, the fact that he's not guarding Durant, it's not. Yeah, not he's like the field. center fielder kind of erase yeah. everything, get back, recover. I but mean, if he's going to really be the center fielder and play that role, he Lopez shouldn't be on the floor because Lopez is clogging up the paint already or Giannis has to play more out. And um, that's what I don't get. And, and, even in the fourth quarter, put Giannis on Durant for a couple possessions. I get his value in defending the entire floor. Make it hard on Durant with your length. The only thing that can bother Durant, other than like, you know, a stout defender or like a handsy defender like Tony Allen, is length. And Giannis has length to at least get a hand up in Durant's face. And that's, it's just a coaching like travesty, man. Like Coach Bud is, I, I have never seen a coach more visibly terrible like like and any fan could watch and wonder why the bucks were not making any changes and too often we act like we know more than coaches and it's not fair to nba coaches but i think this is a perfect example of everyone could see what was happening and the bucks yeah. just didn't do it and we've already spent 22 minutes on one story um but it is really <laughs> it's fascinating because i think the brook lopez point is is astute because of, you can just compare the two series right with Miami series, they were able to leave them out there because they were bludgeoning them to death on the, on the, on the glass. And Bam can't make them pay from the outside, so he's not going to do anything specifically that will take Brook off the floor. And you know, Jimmy Butler coming off those pick and rolls is not a great shooter, so it's not like he can't play the drop. The, the problem with the Nets, which Bud has like been un, like able to realize, is Kevin Durant is the ultimate cheat code for Brook Lopez because he is the rim protector on their defense, and he, they don't sacrifice anything. He's their best defender, and he can pull up from thirty-five and drill it in your mug. So, I get it. Kevin Durant's a very special player, and therefore creates a lot of matchup challenges. Don't make it harder on yourself. Like, understand you brought in PJ Tucker, you brought in Bobby Portis, you brought in all these dudes who can play a different style. And I'm not saying Bobby Portis is going to somehow solve the Bucks' woes, but do anything. Um, but play Brooke Lopez if you're just going to make him stand on the corner and shoot threes anyway, which he's not even doing that well. So it's just like putting out this shitty shooting stiff for no reason other than, hey, here's the guy we paid $13 million a year to. So, um, all right, let's see what happens tomorrow night because if there's one thing I think is very, very clear in this NBA playoffs is the narratives, the stories, the analysis, the opinions (laughs) flip on an hour-by-hour, day-by-day basis. One day, you know, KD is a scrub. The next day, he's back to being best player in the world. One day, Chris Paul is going to get booted in round one again. The next day, we're singing his praises. 
And then the next day after that, he's out for, you know, potentially game one of the conference finals. So, which is, which that, is crazy, but, but have you ever seen, like, you already can see to this point, the Bucks could reach the NBA finals and Bud still might be fired. Like, that this may not save his job. So, that, that just tells you that no matter what happens to the series, even if they win, even if they beat Philly or Atlanta in the next round, this is an all time, like, just, yeah, Horrific no. I mean, this coaching. is this is why I'm comfortable talking about Milwaukee because this isn't reactionary. We've seen yeah. these exact same problems fla- flare for three straight playoffs now. Yeah. Um, other than beating up on shitty round one opponents, Milwaukee's always had problems against anybody who's good. Um, so that's that series. It's been phenomenal. Uh, let, let's. Which one do you want to go to next, or which story do you want to go to next? We can talk. We can talk Philly, Atlanta. We can talk Jazz, Clippers, Kawhi. The coaching changes, the Mavericks dysfunction, Let's, LeBron's comments. I'm uh, this is this Scott Brooks who was fired. Oh, wait, we're, we're definitely. Not Should we spend to twenty to thirty minutes on that? Let's uh, let's start with Kawhi because I think that that was a, a big piece. Huge of bummer, on. huge fucking bummer, man. Um, we both, and particularly you, owe Kawhi a massive apology. I think what he did in Game Six and Game Seven. Uh, versus Dallas, the 45 points in game six and picking up Luka and then, you know, 28 and 10 in game seven. And again, guarding Luka down the stretch was that's, that's Jordan shit right there. Um, (laughs) I mean, that was Jordan level, like in the sense of just being able to get his team buckets, play efficient and give a shit on both sides. That was wild, but we may not see, you know, this could have been his coronation in a way of like, I'm a top 20 player ever which, you know, with three finals MVPs, with three different teams, something only LeBron did, Kawhi starts entering that conversation. I really, really hope it's just a sprain, but, you know, that 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 just sucks. I don't know what else to say about it. It just sucks. Yeah, look, Kawhi has had an amazing postseason. I can't deny that. He's been incredible. And uh, the prospect of getting a Kawhi versus KD finals, which looked like it might be the leading scenario, just a few days ago, uh, missing out on that is is pretty bad. I think that was the NBA's best case scenario with the remaining teams, right? Clippers, Nets, LA versus Brooklyn, Kawhi and Paul George versus KD or uh, Kyrie and Harden. Um, but here's the thing, right? So Kawhi, Kawhi's been amazing. I, I hope he gets better and he they they somehow pull this off. He can make it back. Yeah, but my criticism with Kawhi is not like you're not talking about LeBron's amazing performance in round one and round two in 2010 when he lost in the finals to the Mavs. So yeah, I don't need to un- because until, he has an army until Kawhi of wins the finals, don't don't like assume that three finals MVPs, three different teams. Why are you already giving him that title and talking about top 20 of all time? I'm not giving him that title. If, if for example, if he never got hurt, they're not even the favorites. Um even at 2-2 versus the Jazz, they're probably like third or fourth favorite, right? So I'm not saying it's a guarantee. I don't need to talk about LeBron because people like you shove it in my face every single day. And I got to hear about this tweet and that tweet. And like, this thing hasn't happened since LeBron did it. And this thing hasn't happened since LeBron did it. And then LeBron himself has to bring himself, you know, everyone forgot about him. He's out of the playoffs. And yet he's got to come back into the, you know, headlines. Got a tweet about Durant talking about how... And then he got made all NBA and he started retweeting all these people doing the washed king thing. And I just wanted to kill myself <laughs> on his Instagram. He was just like reposting everybody. They're just like, oh, 17 out of 18. Who would have thought? No, it's like, dude, 
What more do you want? Nobody called you washed. See, this is exactly the problem. Everyone I'm called talking, him washed. I'm talking LeBron again. This is exactly the problem. <laughs> no, Kawhi, I agree. I'm not saying he was going to win the title this year. I was saying this felt like a year where they could make that run with the way that the West had laid itself out. Absolutely. I, I, the one thing about Kawhi I will say is that the spring in his step, I, I thought maybe – Given all the load management they were doing the last couple of years, I thought Kawhi maybe was starting to lose a step or two. Like he was not the same dominant version as he was two years ago. I was totally wrong about that. So I, I will say that. Obviously, the dunk, everyone can talk about that dunk, which was incredible. But just the explosiveness in the fourth quarter. Uh, he hasn't missed a shot still, right? In the fourth quarter. Um, and that's crazy. As much as I hate last to say year. It, he looks a lot like Jordan in the fourth quarter with the mid range pull up and just kind of right. putting his stamp on a game. Uh, but we've seen this from Kawhi, right? This, he's an amazing, really great player. Um, and the unfortunate thing is he could have taken that title as best player in the league this year. But now I think KD's kind of seized it back, and, and Kawhi with the injury, who knows what's going to happen. Well, this is another thing that was just just flip back and forth every night. Who's the best player? It's like, dude, this shit doesn't change that often. It's not like you're, you know, you're number one all, you know, in the league and then you forget how to play basketball for like two nights because you had a bad game. Like that that's another thing. It just kept tossing the crown back from KD to Kawhi based on who had the best last game. And now KD, you know, he grabbed it and will have it for good. Yeah. But these guys are so close, right? So obviously we're gonna kind of over index on some of the the recent performances or how far a guy gets because they're so close at that top. But is Kawhi two for you? Them. Huh? Is Kawhi number two for you if you had to rank? Right Not now, Jok- yeah. Not Jokic? Uh, no, LeBron LeBron is still in that mix. I don't know what LeBron's going to look like when he comes back. Oh, yeah. I, Kawhi over Jokic, yeah. Embiid? Yeah. Luka? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm not saying that you're wrong, but I am saying that there are guys who, you know, we, we don't do a good enough job like – evaluating circumstance we're just like oh this player lost in round one this player made it to the finals therefore if so well, facto player a over player b Kawhi has a bigger track record than Jokic and Embiid right so you're talking about being reactionary I'm not just because Jokic and Embiid have had amazing seasons like I'm not going to immediately vault them over a guy who still at the end of the day has had two NBA finals two finals MVPs right it takes yeah. more I mean I don't think Jokic is exactly like a young upstart here he's been playing at this level for a long time but fine point taken if you want to give you know, the benefit of the doubt to the guy who's proven it on the biggest stage more often. Um, and Giannis, I don't even want to put Giannis anywhere near my top five. Giannis can slide, get his hell out of that. Like he can just, no, it's actually, it's actually interesting. Cause you know, me ranking expert over here, ranking guru, Matthew Barry should come take notes, but I recently did my re ranked top 10, taking into account some playoff hot takes some reactionary things. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. Giannis is like eight or nine. Um, he he's in the Anthony Davis camp. He's in the camp of I need someone who's better than me to win a title, and we saw that exact thing happen yeah. with Anthony Davis. And I think it's going to be very similar. And you see now, injuries aside, Anthony Davis gets nothing but love, right? Because LeBron takes everything he doesn't do well and just take you know he makes it go away. Yeah, he's not good at you know clutch basketball. He's not good at ISO. He's you know sometimes he'll he'll be brittle, so sometimes he needs time off, minutes off. Yeah, LeBron's just like I got it all. Forget that. Just do what you do. If someone could come in, and I don't know that that player exists because of the way that the Bucks contracts have worked out. If someone could come in and be that guy, I think we'd think totally different about Giannis. And honestly, we would we would not diminish a title if as the second best player, just like we didn't for AD. 
We would have, but AD never won an MVP, right? The expectations, even That's though true. he was a really good player, the expectations were always a little bit different. Giannis, how many two-time back-to-back MVPs are there in the league? There's not that Nash, many. Nash, LeBron, Curry. Jordan, Curry. Maybe in like Kareem and like oh, Bird yeah. won three in a row. Yeah, when yeah. you go back even further, they're like all Every time guy players. who's done it, except maybe Nash, was the best player on a title team. And so that's exactly. what's at stake for, for Giannis. And I get that. Exactly. It's almost like if he hadn't won those, we wouldn't even be having the conversation, even though he could have been the same exact player. Like, let's say he loses in 19 to Harden and 20 to LeBron. And he's second both times. We're not even having this conversation. We're like, God damn, Giannis just needs to work on a thing or two. But you're not coming over here, like, scolding him like he's your own kid out here. Like, you're just being like, yeah, I love Giannis. He just needs to do this. I'm so excited for him. He can get over the hump. Now we're treating him like he's this 15-year veteran who's just run into the wall over and over again. Yeah, and I think he's shown a resistance to change. Not a resistance, but... An inability. uh, An inability to change. Because, look, I know he's only 25, 26, right? But all the big men these days, like, there's no excuse not to be able to shoot. Like, all the big... big, When you talk about Embiid, when you talk about... um, uh, Anthony Davis, right? All these guys could were decent shooters, but they became pretty reliable three-point shooters. They only got better and better as their careers progressed. And Giannis has to get to some level of proficiency. Uh, yeah. But anyways, we're now, we're now back. Yeah, we're back to Giannis. Um, okay, so Jazz Clippers, I mean, look, if Kawhi doesn't play, you know, the, Jazz, the Clippers are putting up a fight right now. They're down, I think, three. Um, it would be very, very difficult for them to win this series, right? Like, I think we can agree. Um, what have you seen from the Jazz? You want to hear a funny stat for tonight? Uh, yeah. I don't know if you saw it, but they were absolutely insane from three this year, this game. They made 15 threes in the first one and a half quarters. They were 15 of 23 from three to start. That 15 is more than the 98 Jazz made in the entire six-game series versus the Bulls. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um. But anyway, so I don't want to do a Jazz Phoenix preview, but let's say we get there. Uh, what, who, what do you think about that matchup? Because that's one that, you know, they, they played pretty even. I don't think Phoenix is scared of Gobert because of how good, you know, Paul and Booker are in the pick and roll. But at the same time, you know, Mike Conley might have a, even more time to get healthy and get back. I, I still kind of like Phoenix. I don't, I'm not impressed with what I'm seeing with Utah. Um, something seems off with them, right? Something seems off. Uh, and they resorted to that Donovan Mitchell hero ball last game, which is literally what we see every postseason. And all of a sudden, the ball movement kind of dies. Yeah, They've got so many weapons this year, right? Bogdanovich, Ingles. Ingles is getting kind of abused on defense, um, which I guess it will matter less if Phoenix doesn't have any elite wings. Um, but and, and Gobert, it's look, he's elite at protecting the rim, but... The thing I always say about with Gobert, too, is that, like last game, he was incredible at uh, at rim protection. I think Clippers were scared to take it down low. But it's still not – his contributions on the offensive end are so minimal that he's still, and I don't know, not really a truly a net positive for a guy who's supposed to be the second best player on that team. I know you might say Conley, but given his stature as this No, I was going to say a lot of people say he's best. Or he's best, and it's not showing out in the games. Like I'm not seeing that impact translate, and part of it is because he's limited on the offensive end. If he's giving you zero on the offensive end, like if Draymond's giving you an absolute zero, um, you're not helping your team that much, dude. So 
you know, in Wizards Land, right? When Rui Hachimura was like shooting the ball well, like percentage wise, but he was getting like eight shots a game. Everyone's like, this guy could be a star, but Russ and Beal don't pass him the ball. And some of that is true, but it's also like, dude, if you're the star, then go fucking get the ball. But no, yeah. you can't because you can't do anything with it, right? Like you make shots that are when you're in the position to make shots. And that's like extreme version of that is what Rudy is doing. And I will, I hate that I'm even doing this, but going into this playoffs, I probably still had Gobert ranked ahead of Mitchell. Um, Because when you look at the defensive metrics, when you look at the on off production, when you look at like field goal percentage against all of it is just him being light years ahead of everyone in the league. And it really does matter for a team in Utah that, you know, relies on two things. One is his defense and rim protection and B is his screen assist for all the threes that they get, right? But yeah. I'm not going to be the guy that goes <laughs> that's so far lost. It's like his screen assists are more value, valuable than Mitchell's ISO game. So let's assume that Mitchell's one, Gobert's two. Last night, or two nights ago when they played, was a prime example of why your number two, not all number twos are made equal. Let's say that. He was like three of three for six points or something through like three quarters. And it's just like, I don't even know what I want him to do because he's not capable of doing anything else. And, you know, people always talk about how um, Derek Favors is dying for our sins because he gets just bludgeoned at the rim whenever Gobert's out. <laughs> yep. And that is valuable. Don't get me wrong. But, man, like, Mitchell can't just take 30 shots a game as everyone just stands around with their dick in their hands because Conley's not there to, like, run some type of offense. And Ingles is like a two dribble guy, you know, Bogdanovich, you know, he's not going to like, he's not going to pull out the moves package to get to the rim. (laughs) These are all great offensive players in their roles. The whole thing kind of falls apart without Conley, which is a scary proposition for a guy who's been hurt multiple times this year. Yeah. Clarkson's a microwave guy who is just hot or cold. You can't trust him. I want to see more from Bogdanovich, but he's limited athletically. And against this Clippers team, it's not a good matchup for him against Paul no. or Kawhi. But he, I think he's got to do some more of that shot creation. He used to be that guy in, in Indiana. And he's still in the, the was one of the reasons Utah went and got him is because he's not only a good shooter or scorer, he can create a little bit. Um, right. Like he doesn't have the moves package, but he can create. And, and I don't he know. Can they get, do he something can, a little he can bit get more his quicker. own shot. He can get his own shot because he's really good at creating space. Yeah, exactly. And so they, uh, I think Donovan Mitchell needs to kind of reel it back in. Um, and Never happened. That, that's the problem with Donovan Mitchell. Like for all those great games he has, he can also shoot you out of games. Like this has happened before. Um, yep. And uh, this is a series, man. I mean, I'm look like we might need to tune into this game because it is a yeah, dead Clippers heat. Right are, yeah, Clippers are 71, Utah 70. Yeah, like the Clippers are up, and there's no excuse. Like I, I don't know. Watching all these teams, watching Utah, watching Philly, watching Milwaukee, like I don't understand how all these teams can be so disappointing. And it's it's weird because usually if if these teams lose or play poorly, they're going up against the Warriors or they're going up against LeBron, and you kind of excuse it away. I think this year because it's so wide open, we're seeing that some of these teams' flaws are a lot deeper than we'd expect. Right. Yeah. All of a sudden, the narrative was like, "Oh, Milwaukee should run away with this. Utah can run away with this, given all these injuries." But what we're seeing, and this is reactionary, I know. Like, this is just the last couple of games. No, but it's but true. All, all, none of these teams can like step up to the plate. It, it, no, it's totally true because like, it's it's one thing if you just get LeBron, right? And you're like, all right, well, you know, 
maybe if you took away LeBron and our best player, we have way more talent. But, I mean, that's life, right? Yeah. <laughs> Philly has no excuse to make that comment. They have the best player in the series. And Trey Young's a guy that was talked so, so much shit was talked about Trey Young for three years by us. Dude, we ranked, Kush brought this up to us the other day. We ranked the four young point guards, uh, you know, mid season when we did the over unders pod. We said, who is it? Ja, uh, LaMelo, <laughs> LaMelo. Trey, and uh, SGA. SGA. And we all had varying versions of the top three, and we all had Trey fourth. And now what? He's a top, if you ask Bill Simmons, he's probably a top eight <laughs> guy, right? And so I don't understand, like, is it that our opinions change? Is it that these, the, is it the shooting maybe that it's so like 20 point leads are meaningless, right? Yeah. With the way teams shoot, with the way teams play defense, the playoffs look like nothing like the playoffs. Remember when we got the game three, I hate that I'm going back to this series, but it was like bucks was, they won 86, 83. Yep. That felt like it was out of a time machine, right? <laughs> it's like and the then, heat next 97 or something. Yeah. And then the very next game, the Clippers won like 137 to like 112. And you're like, okay, this feels more normal. Now I feel at peace. But to your point, it's like the, the, either the variance is from the highs from the shooting or, Hey, look, maybe there's just a ton of talent in the league and ranking a top 20 is totally meaningless because there's 40 guys who play at a caliber of what a top 20 player usually represents. And therefore on any given night, you know, Boyan, uh, sorry, Bogdan Bogdanovich can have 30 points. Trey, uh, Seth Curry had like 37 tonight. Um, yeah. Boyan Bogdanovich hit six threes in the first quarter. So with this much talent around the league, it's almost like picking out of a hat who's going to ball on a given night, which means makes predicting like almost impossible. And, and none of these teams have any kind of scoring distribution. Like you just mentioned, if you look at Philly's box score today, you have two guys over 30 and the rest. And, you know, I'm sure you are very happy to see Ben Simmons just shit the bed tonight. He's um, fucking, but he's fucking terrible, dude. He went four of 14 from the free throw line. He's an embarrassment to anybody who, talks about his defense get Damn. the like tell me how you really feel bruce brown was a great defender too should we put him all nba and give him the max deal and all the endorsements like give me lou dort over ben simmons damn lou dort damn. scored 42 points in a game this year you think ben simmons could do that in four what, playoff what, games what is the worst player you take over ben simmons seriously would you take I would take for this Philly team. I would go pretty low because I think he's such a bad fit next to Embiid. For this Philly team, I think I would honestly take. If you told me I had to keep either Ben Simmons or Seth Curry, I might be packing Simmons bags. Wow. I don't know. Am I am I being stupid right now? I don't know. Look, you you have a fair point about Simmons. I think that today's what game, joke, no game man. showcased it more than today, where defensively that value he brings wasn't stopping an Atlanta Hawks run or, you know, in any way offensively, you need someone outside of Embiid to step up and Steph Curry, Seth Curry did everything he could his best Steph impression. And Simmons still, he can't muster more. Did he even score over 10 today? Eight points. Um, let me see what he had. I think he had eight. Yeah. So and he wasn't I, even on the floor till like two minutes left. Like I don't know if that was just because there was no stoppage, but Doc didn't seem like he really cared to get him back in. So either way, I this all started from the point about a lot of these teams, and I don't know what it is, are disappointing, and maybe we have too high expectations of them. I think part of the reason is this is a wonky season. So Utah's a one seed, but don't say like, wonky. Why? That's the that's 
Bill's like number one. Bill Simmons' number one word to describe everything is the wonky. <laughs> It's like, oh, it's wonky. That's, the Sixers like, thing. Right, cool. The Sixers thing is, is a little We're really going to do that thing about the Sixers where it's wonky? <laughs> um, I, I just think that maybe this season, because the regular season had so many injuries and weird things happen, we treat some of these teams like we think Philly's better than they are. We think Utah's better than they are. And maybe there's not a lot of difference between any of these teams, especially once the Lakers went out especially once the Nets kind of lost Kyrie and Harden, or, or at least lost Harden, um, right? Like, I, not, like, Phoenix might be legit. I think they might be the one team that actually has their shit together. But even they, we don't know. They beat up a hobbled Lakers team, and then they beat up to, a Nuggets team. I was just about to say, what do we really know about Phoenix right now? They look great, but they looked great against two very depleted rosters. And so this is what I'll say about Kawhi, right? Because I want to take it back to Kawhi. If he's healthy and they couldn't make the finals and win the finals, are we crowning him? I don't care if he dropped 35 a game in the second round. Are well, we I crowning think the, him? I think the context has to matter, right? Like, let's say they had beaten the Clippers. Uh, sorry, they beaten the Jazz. And honestly, shit, they might. They're up six right now. Let's say they had beaten the Jazz, go to the Western Conference Finals, and maybe this ACL injury is like, they're still calling it just a sprain. They have not yep. ruled it anything further. I don't know. I mean, he's very close to his vest in terms of like medicals. So I'm not sure what the reality is, but you know, best case scenario, let's say he plays versus the, the Suns. If he balls out and they lose that series, I don't think that's a knock against him. Oh, it's not. It's not a knock. We're not elevating him to anywhere new. Yeah, agreed, which is why yeah. I said that that's why I wasn't saying they were going to win the finals if he didn't get hurt. I said they had an opportunity to. And as we just laid out, there's like carcasses and corpses all over the freaking NBA playoffs right now, right? Like who knows? Like you honestly don't know who is going to be on any given roster in the finals at this point. And if you had gun to your head, you're like, I know this is going to be the finals. I don't remember a time where it was ever this unclear, this far into nope. the playoffs. Like – there's what, eight teams left. Sorry, seven teams left, right? Denver's out. We got a 3-2 Atlanta, which is not what we expected. We have 3-2 Brooklyn, but fa- you know, down two of their th- big three. We have 2-2 uh, you know, Clippers Jazz, but the Clippers are now opening up a lead here. And then Phoenix, who's untested. And you know, Chris Paul has never made it through a playoffs healthy. So I can tell you anything that's going to happen, much less who's going to win on a night-to-night basis. Yeah, uh, it's and, and you know what? Next week we might be singing a totally different tune because every series can flip again. So maybe we don't, we shouldn't be so reactionary. But I think just the fact that these series are kind of tip, like ping-ponging back and forth in ways we didn't expect. Like I didn't bet at all this postseason, but I can tell you right now, if I had made bets based on who I used would think would win, I would have lost everything. Like, there's no scenario in which I would have bet on Atlanta tonight. There's no None. scenario in which I would have And then you would have been up 26 at half and feeling like the fucking king of the world. Yeah. Like, it's just, it, it's it's a bloodbath, man. I don't know. My FanDuel account hit triple zeros in round one. <laughs> <laughs> when I repeatedly was getting the wrong winner of, of Dallas Clippers. <laughs> I'm surprised you haven't put up your, your new house yet. Just... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know that I can close on this thing. Like, I don't, we might have to turn it, give it, give it back. You can keep one of the bedrooms. Just let me have my. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I the the, the Kawhi news is a bummer amongst many other injury news 
you know, update. So, you know, LeBron came out and was just like, I've told you guys this, this is going to happen with the short and off season, blah, blah, blah. Some of the, some of what he's saying, I buy, you know, I've mentioned this multiple times. They all agreed on this. They were equity partners. Uh, they're not forced to come play. That being said, I do understand that players in general in any league don't really have leverage and they have a lot more to lose than the owners who could have, you know, evoked force majeure and, you know, ripped up the CBA and done all these things and made it more advantageous to them. Forget about LeBron, you know, kind of talking outside both sides of his mouth, which is, you know, typical par force. <laughs> I think he has merit in what he's saying because the headlines are clearly, you know, pretty gruesome. But the NBA came back and said that all-star injuries and overall injuries are similar pace than what they saw last year. So which is it? Because to me, I would tend to agree there have been more injuries, but I also think you have to segment some of them. Like Kyrie rolling up on Giannis's foot had nothing to do with a short offseason, for example, right? So that's that's where I'm just not sure how so how to break that down. The NBA put out that that uh, response, but apparently, you know, ESPN had an article I think a week ago or two weeks ago that said that injury rates are in fact up. Um, yeah. And they're up more for all-star type players. So I don't know who to believe. And I don't know, maybe the NBA is classifying the injuries a little bit differently. But I I think LeBron has a point now, the way he conveys it, the way I told you so kind of a thing, I get people don't like, but I think the message is still true. And we have to, it's not just about the um, short and off season. It's about the compressed schedule. This year has more back-to-backs, right? Uh, because they're trying to condense 72 games and all for what the Olympics and who are they going to send the Olympics? Like the, that roster is already looking like it's going to be pretty trash. None of the, the top whoa. stars. Whoa, 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 whoa. Bradley Beal. Oh, They're expecting God. a commitment from him. Dame Lillard, your boy and your other boy, Draymond Green, Jason Tatum. Those are the four names right now we've gotten. Yeah. That, that doesn't, that still doesn't scream like a superstar team to me. Um, so for the Olympics, we're rushing all these guys back or rushing the season to conclude before uh, July ends. And this is what I said at the beginning of the season. This was the problem. I said, why don't they let it go into August, September? Like, why are they, they don't, why can't they stretch out the season a little bit more or get started later? And I think there's, it's, it, it's not, it can't be coincidence that there happen to be an increase in injuries in a year where you have a short off season, you have more back-to-backs. And a lot of these injuries are soft tissue injuries, which are a result of kind of some of the strain that's being put on these guys. So LeBron has a point. Now, what are the NBA going to do about it? I guess there's no solution, right? Like the, the players can't force something different in this situation. But I think it's, a, it's, it's worth calling out. And it's worth Adam Silver realizing that this is hurting the product severely. And if the NBA Finals ends up being Hawks, Jazz, and the ratings are just in the gutter, like... You know, he's going to have to look inwards and say, we have to do something about this next year. I did. I did save a long time and I have to kind of take a step back, right? Where I was for a while. I was like, look, it's a money thing. The money's there. You've talked about how they should have just shortened it to like 50, 60 games. And I was like, well, no, the RSNs, blah, blah, blah. And I wonder if me, as well as Adam Silver, the two key decision makers for the NBA, like <laughs> we're just not able to see the forest of the trees kind of, you know, where rather than take a beat on this year, even though they took a beat on last year. And, you know, I think that's ultimately what led to this rather than do that, delay it, 
try to get some more time for vaccinations for stadiums to open up, et cetera. Like we're seeing in the playoffs now, they're basically full stadiums in most arenas, right? Um, and I think you know you do lose money, but maybe you set yourself up for a healthier, more structured season schedule moving forward. But the thing is, none of this is you could call it predictable, whatever, but none of this is truly predictable in the sense of like, Oh, I'm going to lose LeBron James and I'm going to lose James Harden. And I'm going to lose like Kawhi Leonard. And those are three of the six best players in the world. Like all of this stuff, that particular part in terms of who got hurt, how they got hurt, I think might just be bad luck because James Harden was out in round two. Uh, you know, you, I know you mentioned it's more than just, James Harden, you, you talked about the schedule, but James Harden also missed like 40 games this season. LeBron missed 35. Kawhi load managed. He missed 20. So it's not like these guys in particular were playing all the time. So that's why I think it's, some of it is just misfortune. Kawhi Leonard didn't hurt his knee because he was in the bubble and playing 50 games this season. He played the amount you wanted them to play anyway. So I, I don't know that I want to connect the dots there. And as much as fighting for the Olympics is, I agree, a dumb, like, a goal, even though, you know, it's something the league likes to do because of the international expansion, I'm like, fine, just send college kids for one year. It'll be okay. Or send guys from teams who don't make the playoffs. Like you'll still have enough time to rest. Like there's any number of things they could have done differently. I just don't want it to attribute too much to like this schedule when who got hurt was more a coin flip bad luck than it was like something because, you know, they played too long. Maybe Anthony Davis, you could argue. Yes. But Kawhi Leonard, I, I have a tough time getting around on that. Sure. Some of it's luck. Some of it's luck, especially in the playoffs. But in the regular season, we saw this a lot. And I think one thing that's overlooked is the shortened offseason also had COVID protocols. These guys weren't training and practicing the same way. Um, the routine was different. They probably didn't get the same kind of reps that they would in a normal offseason, not only because of the duration, but also just because the way um, – think, I mean, you think about this. This was during the peak of – not peak, but – when everything was completely shut down and we were taking COVID very seriously. So I think given all these variables, yes, some of it's bad luck. And, you know, you run this a hundred times in a simulation, maybe majority of the times we're not going to lose this many stars. But I, I still think that there's enough variables in play that would lead me to believe that this was a product of a rushed tight end schedule. What sucks is if any of these injuries, we already know Jamal Murray's well, we're kind of awaiting Kawhi. If any of these injuries leak into next year, that's a major, major loss. And that's when you really, really regret your decision, right? Because we're not going to have Jamal Murray until all-star break, maybe later. If Kawhi's an ACL, he's going to be gone the entirety of next season, right? It's already like finals time, basically, on a normal calendar. Um, and... Hopefully none of the other injuries, you know, we don't know the severity of Kyrie's ankle or, you know, what Harden's hamstring is going to do in the offseason or even LeBron. But that would be where you really start to look at the mirror and be like, we fucked up. Um, I mean, Kawhi, you know, even if it's not a torn ACL, it's a sprained ACL, he's going to milk that and load manage his way to 20 games next season. Yeah. So. Hey, man, you can't kick the guy when he's down. Like, he's not even watching Paul George go off for him. And you're just, like, taking shots, like, totally – you know, unprovoked shots at him right now. Um, but, all right, I want to touch on the team that, oh, before we get to non-playoff stuff. we So, Philadelphia. Oh, man. We, we sort of mentioned Ben Simmons, but 
And we sort of talked about Doc Rivers being in the same boat as Bud, but tonight was an abomination. It it truly was. I don't know how much of the game you were able to catch, but I stopped watching was, and then it caught the last minute. I stopped watching at half. Yeah. And I started I picked it up. It was like uh 104.96. And I was like, all right, well, they made a nice run, but Atlanta, you know, Philly still got in the bag. Their inability to get good looks in late game situations is second to none. Uh, only Milwaukee, even Milwaukee's like, yo, our half court offense should be something you guys copy because you don't know what the fuck you're doing. They yeah. have a low post beast and Embiid, and that's kind of it. And then the rest of it is like, if guys have open looks, sometimes they hit them. Nobody else can create off the dribble. Simmons, I mean, Harris should be able to. He should, but he can only do it like some of the time. It's hard to tell when that t- those, those times are going to be. Uh, do you think they're like, okay, they're obviously in real trouble. They're one game away from going home. But if you had to put a percent somehow, what would you put it on that they advance first get knocked out here? Against Atlanta or advance to the finals? Atla- uh, Atlanta. Like they're down 3-2 now, right? I, so, think they, I still think they beat Atlanta. I put a 51% chance they would. Wow. So you think they're, with everything we saw in game three and game four, just being a total no-show in the second half in both games offensively. For good I think reason. If you're, good, if you're good enough to go up, see, the problem with some of these teams is once they go up 20, they tie, they like get so tight and don't know how to play as they're trying to protect the lead. It's like watching a team in football, right, where um, you're up 20, like 20, 24 points, you're like the Falcons in the Super Bowl, and you just you go away from what you do normally, and you get so concerned with just trying to hold on to the lead. And I think Philly and Milwaukee both have that same problem. There's no reason why Philly shouldn't be winning the series and Trey young going off in the second, like, I don't know if you're that good of a team defensively, you have multiple perimeter defenders and a great interior defender. Like they've got three defenders on the all NBA defensive teams, right? Dybul, which was, you know, kind of crazy. I mean, he only plays 20 minutes a game. Simmons and Embiid all made it. Yeah. So they've got no excuse. I, 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 I think a lot of it falls on doc. It's just like coach, Bud. I think coaching, this is when coaching really matters when you let it, and we can talk about Simmons because that's clearly a fault with this team. But this team was good enough in the regular season. This team is good enough. We can see it to beat Atlanta. Um, and I don't know what they're doing because they have no plan on offense. And I, some of that falls on Doc. I, I don't want to um, I don't want to like keep rehashing history, but I still just cannot get over some of 2019. How you let Jimmy Butler walk and pick Tobias Harris over him. I need some explanation other than like, hey, Butler didn't want to be here. Because I think part of the reason he didn't want to be here is that they weren't offering him the five-year max. They thought he was 29, had a lot of miles on him. And Butler solves all of their problems. He's exactly what they need. It's it's like they had him and they they, they actually – that's actually the furthest they went in the playoffs with him. And they just got beat on a crazy shot by Kawhi. That could have been a team that won the finals, honestly, with everything else that happened after that. They yep. saw it work. And personally, I think he was too threatening to Ben Simmons' role. And Ben Simmons was the number one pick, you know, the process, blah, 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 and thought of as like a true cornerstone, and they didn't want to do anything to disrupt his development. And now we have this situation where, you know, Everyone can talk about Simmons' versatility on defense, and when he looks good and when he's smothering you, like when, he, when he's like taking over Trey, it is really kind of mesmerizing to watch. But I'm sorry, there's a reason, you know, you can call Houston 
idiots, but there's a reason they didn't make him the centerpiece of that trade. That put him in no man's land, which is exactly where they didn't want to go after the Harden reset, right? And yep. what is that worth? I don't know. Like, does it mean anything that they didn't want to do that? Or is that just another team being stupid? But I think when you watch them, all of their flaws really start with his – it's like his inability to take his own space on the court that's not disruptive to Embiid. Absolutely. And Simmons reminds me of, and you're going to love this comp, Tyreek Evans, who mm. uh, Tyreek Evans, very promising as a rookie, as an offensive player too. Like, I mean, when Simmons was an offensive player, we knew his flaws, but he was, you know, 15 points a game as a rookie, rookie of the year. The sky's the limit for this guy. Mini LeBron James. He's got all the other skills. It was a very similar story with Tyreek. He's not a good defender, but he averaged 20 his first season and he never got better. He added, didn't add anything to his tool set. And after a while, teams know, like, you know your moves. Guys get used to playing against Tyreek Evans. They know he has the same moves, the same Eurostep he does. He can't shoot, won't shoot a lot of times. And it really limited his career. And I think Simmons, teams know how to play Simmons. And um, you know, even the off limited offensive game he had in the last couple of years where he was still doing a little bit of stuff around the rim and finishing, even that's kind of evaporated. Like, it's it's so weird how he scores the in these games. Like, it's never within a real offensive flow. It feels lucky sometimes. He'll get a rebound here, a putback. He'll get, maybe he'll have one nice cut of game. Steal and dunk type There's thing. no consistency or rhythm to his game. And I think even if he is a limited offensive player, you need to find a couple of things that you're comfortable with. And when I watch him on the floor, he's not comfortable with anything on offense. And it's, it's a shame to see. And, and people say maybe he's not putting enough time in the gym. I don't know what the cause is, but if he's never going to get better and at this rate he might not, then he's useless. Like, I mean, not useless, but like he can't be your second or third best guy. He gets, he becomes like your fourth best guy. Yeah. And like, I really think because of the position he was drafted, and you, you, you keep laughing at me, but I seriously think because he was like this preordained celebrity, nice face, dated a Ken, you know, Kendall Jenner. He's been given a status that his basketball game has not uh, demanded. Like, He's more Draymond Green than he is Giannis. Um, if you want to talk about two players who are kind of the opposite ends of that, like do it all spectrum, who can't really like put it together offensively, like Giannis is obviously like superstar. But I think Simmons is closer to Draymond, um, where his value certainly is better on the defensive end than offensively. He's a good, not great playmaker, um, especially in the playoffs when he can't get out. He can't get out of anybody's way. It makes it a lot harder to pass to open lanes. Um, if your offense is going to run through Embiid and Embiid doesn't need a lot of help, he's an ISO scorer in the post. You don't need, you have no need for a player like Ben Simmons. Um, yep. And defensively, Embiid, Tybal, like you said, they already have all defense guys. Even Danny Green is is fine. Like he's serviceable. It's frustrating, man. And Doc does nothing to help these guys. Like, no. yeah, he's never been a. a he doesn't switch anything developer. up. He doesn't try anything. Like, um, you know, it's just one of those things that's just really, really frustrating to watch. And a team that has been ready to put it together, like this is what you got this is what people don't get. Like, this is no longer a young Philadelphia team. Like Embiid's like twenty six or twenty seven. Um, with his health where he misses twenty to thirty games a year, you can't just you know, guarantee he's gonna be good at thirty four, thirty five. This might yep. be four more years and he's a different kind of kind of player. Um 
And so, yeah, especially if you have another knee injury, like in your early thirties, your, your career might be done. Right. It's like, kind of like a Chris Weber thing as a big man, you can't afford to have more injuries later in your career. So you got to take advantage of like this prime. Yeah. Like him just casually tearing a meniscus, but then continuing to play. I don't know if I should be impressed by that or like terrified by that, that that's what's actually happening. But you know, that's by the way, Clippers are up nine. So maybe we need to revert and do a Clippers sons preview. Um, but you know, that's why I'm, I don't know, maybe they get through Atlanta again. I think that they very easily could, like you said, if you can go up 26, then you're obviously a talented team, one that could easily win on their floor, but losing at home, you know, that crowd in Atlanta is going to be bonkers. Yeah. Like ludicrous on the, you know, playing TI (laughs) young Jeezy, like this place is going to be crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. They're Migos is sitting courtside, like the whole thing. They already lost. I mean, Philly was booing. <laughs> they lost their own fans at the end of that game. And now they got to head into Atlanta. And I, something gets shook, shaking with your confidence, man. When you drop two 20-point leads in, a, in two games in a row, I I, I still think Philly will win just because I, I really believe in their – as a team, they're just more talented and they have the pieces. They have advantages that should neutralize what Atlanta can do. Yeah, but I think with some of these things, man, it's confidence is the thing, right? Like, I also would not be surprised if they go into Atlanta and just fold over because uh, Doc teams have done that. We cannot, you know, ignore how good Atlanta's been and how much of uh, a fight they've given to Philly. You know, they took game one right away. Philly won the next two kind of handily, and everyone's like four one. And I thought it was going to be two. Yep. Then Philly goes up like fifteen in game four, and I was like, "Yep, told you." For them to do it twice in a row. Trey Young has he's starting to develop true mastery of the point guard position. And like I mentioned earlier, I don't know that any player has been so maligned just three years into his career. He's only 22. The guy averaged 29 and nine. It was an all-star starter last year on a bad team in his second year in the league. And people were like, this guy sucks. You could never been a w- build a winner around him, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, and I did it too. And it's like, why don't we just wait? Yeah, Just freaking wait for these dudes. Like, just give it a second, right? And you're seeing what, how, like, how special he is with talent around him. The problem is the benchmark is Luca, right? I mean, you traded Luca for him, and Luca right at the gate was amazing. So you know, it's unfair, but that's the same thing with Bagley. Bagley's still super young, but Kings fans are ready to throw him to the Wolves because he hasn't become anything yet. Trey Bagley I mean, sucks. I, exactly. <laughs> I mean, we all owe Trey an apology. I think part of it, he just needs to get a stylist, man. I, I just, I you really think a lot of it is how just terrible he looks. Like, if he looked a little bit, just, I don't, like, I don't hate to say it because I don't want to, you know, rag on a guy's appearance. Like, I'm not. Okay, but if he's losing Brad his over here, hair, but, like, his, he's his, losing he's just, his hair, what do you want him to do? He, he doesn't look like a superstar. Like, he's got a little bit of unibrow. He's got the little frizzy hair. Like, just do something a little bit more badass, man. And, like. He needs no. to. I think he needs to get tats. Can. I think he might need to come back next season with like two sleeves. Get some tats. Because he can't grow fix a beard. the hair. Grow a beard. No, I, I, don't I don't think he can grow a beard either. I think he's working with some severe limitations here. It doesn't help that he's also like six one, like one eighty. Yeah, he's a small guy. But Iverson. I mean, look, Iverson was small. He was cool. I yeah, that's true. Those are yeah, those are two different personas. It seems <laughs> like, but. Um, yeah, I mean, dude, and I texted you the other day. I was like, the Kings letting Boggs walk is just really another level of inept. inept. 
It is. I mean, the whole thing was weird, right? We we were supposed to get DiVincenzo back for him, which would have been fine because, you know, at a much cheaper price, DiVincenzo's pretty good. Bogey's one of those players where we miss him. It was dumb, but he's a guy who needed to be on a better team. Like, he, there's some players that are just not going to thrive on a crappy team. And given that Fox had the ball a lot, we had Buddy, we had Halliburton now. Um, I don't know if he would have been successful here. That guy was built for like these big time moments. So. I would be very curious if, because Atlanta was, you know, usually restricted free agents who are going in a sign and trade don't have the the team that's losing that player doesn't have a ton of leverage, right? Because yep. it's not like, I mean, they can they can re-sign him, but clearly they don't really want him at that price. But Atlanta was desperate to make the playoffs, and they were desperate to sp- spend their cap space, right? Because yep. John Collins' extension is coming up. You know, Trey Young's the year after that. They're not. They're really never going to have cap space again in this version of the team. So they signed Gallinari. They signed Rondo. Chris Dunn. It kind of felt like Bogdanovich. Well, Bogdanovich was clearly the best player of those four, and I think they knew that, right? Yeah. But I really wonder if the, you know, Kings even tried to go get like a Cam Reddish. You know, they wouldn't have given up Hunter, but Cam Reddish or Kevin Herter or like one of these young guys. Like, was that even a possibility? No, once the Milwaukee deal got botched, uh, there was bad blood with the bogey camp. It was just not happening. Um, there was not going to be a, a sign and trade. It was, it, yeah. And did Bogey want to go to Milwaukee? I never. Like, it was never really properly understood what. The no, issue was. I don't. I don't think he did. I don't know. It was the whole thing was weird. Um, I don't think he really wanted to go to Milwaukee, but I think he would have been fine with it um, because it was a really good team, uh, but. To be honest, no one still understands exactly how that whole saga went down. It's kind of weird. Um, all we know is that we should have gotten DiVincenzo, who would have been perfect for this Kings team because we really needed him. But Yeah, I don't know. This I, I just feel like the Kings uh, back end of the roster aside, I do feel like um, Atlanta deserves so much for credit. And like, you know, a lot of people are talking about how Lloyd Pierce and McMillan kind of coincided with Bogdanovich coming back from injury. But it does it does feel like they were just not responding at all to Pierce and that type of coaching change. I don't remember an example in recent history has had this wild of a shift mid season. They were headed to like mid lottery. Oh yeah, it's actually a bigger shift because the Cavs were still good that year with uh, with David Blatt. Um, but yeah, man, look, props to Atlanta. I don't think enough people talk about Atlanta. It's always about Philly choking and even last series everyone was more excited about the Knicks but um they've got a bright future because even if they lose if even if they lose this series all right I think it's a successful playoff run for them already I oh I think this is a resounding success right like obviously at this stage you don't think about hey game seven loss is still a moral victory like they expect to win and they should expect to win you're up three two in a series you should win right regardless of what the circumstances are that got you there um, unless it's like Embiid missed the first five games and now he's coming yeah. back or something like that. Short of that yeah. situation, they should win. But, they, but you know, I think regardless of the way this goes, they're going to be feeling really, really positive. And then, you know, they do have that John Collins decision because he's going to command 80, 90 million over four years. And I don't know if that's a player that they want to pay or if they feel like they can get by in other ways. Now the Gallo contract is not looking very good, but, yeah. um, <laughs> um, you know, that's 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 you know that's a that's a question they'll be happy to answer 
if they had a conference finals appearance or hell, even a finals appearance. Like if it was Atlanta, Milwaukee, everything we've seen from Milwaukee, <laughs> would you be confident picking them to advance? I wouldn't. No, I'm not confident in anything anymore. No. If it's Atlanta, Brooklyn, okay, I'm sort of like more assured it's the Nets. Uh, but, but by the way, we. What I'm learning about a team like Brooklyn, and maybe this is just Steve Nash with a masterclass defensive coaching performance, but Brooklyn gave up a lot to Boston. They, it's not like they magically became a really good defensive team. And the fact that they can stop Milwaukee, like that wouldn't make me surprised if a team like Atlanta, who's not known for being a defensive team, finds a solution for Giannis and the Bucks, right? Like it just seems like this team is easy to scheme against. For they're easy coach. to guard. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're may- <laughs> Bud and Giannis are making the Nets look like the 04 Pistons right now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. Speaking of coaches, let's quickly touch on that and then we'll wrap up. I do want to talk Luca and Mavs and all that stuff for a second. So the the coaching carousel added two more names. Uh Stan Van Gundy out after one season. He said a four-year <laughs> deal. He's out after one season. Terrible decision to hire him. I think the game has passed him by. We saw that basically all year with how he couldn't make it work with Zion, how they continually ran a terrible defense. I was shocked uh, just because of New Orleans being a small market team that they were willing to eat those three years from a financial perspective. But basketball-wise, I think it makes total sense. Unfortunately, Zion is now going to be on his third head coach in as many seasons. And you start to wonder how long he's going to put up with this this amount of uh, turmoil. And then... The second, as I mentioned, Scott Brooks, they couldn't fire him with any money left on his contract because Ted would never pay a guy a dollar not to work there. So finally, his seven, five years, $35 million deal expired. He is now out in D.C. And so their big question is, you know, what do we do with the Russ Beal pairing? How do we hire a coach that fits their timeline as well as you know, develop some of the younger players? So. Any thoughts on on those pieces? Were they the right move, wrong move, much overdue? I mean, New Orleans is clearly the right move, but if the yeah, if the team was willing to eat those three years, then why not do it? Because I think after you saw what Zion has, what he can be as a player, and the leap he took this year, you're going to get a lot of coaches interested in this job. Like you have talent, you have a young roster, um, you're not in some dire cap I mean they're I mean I don't know their exact cap situation you have some bad contracts obviously on that team Bledsoe and Adams but you've got a lot of young promising guys to work with so they're gonna get their their you know a bunch of different candidates and there are gonna be a lot of coaches looks like available um I just hope they don't settle for another retread like if they go the Scott Brooks route for example um, dude if they hire Scott Brooks I'm gonna lose my mind after yeah me. so I think they have they have to make uh, a, a their evaluation decision should be a coach who can really build around Zion and make that offense. You know, they got to find a way to tune down the Ingram impact on their, their offense and and figure out a different kind of role for him because him and Zion aren't going to work or Griffin has to, to find a, a trade partner. So that, that's that, but Simmons for Ingram. I don't hate it. I don't hate it at all. That might actually be a solid deal. Maybe New Orleans has to kick in a little extra because Simmons has, like, you know, higher pedigree for whatever reason. But <laughs> it's I don't not know. bad. It's not bad. But is Simmons a good fit next to Zion, who's also a non-shooter? I don't. I don't yeah, know. That, that that's the thing. And 
the current Pelicans roster with Bledsoe and Adams, they've got too many guys. And Lonzo, Lonzo was a good shooter this year, but I still don't think. I know he shot really well from three, but I don't see him as a really consistent scorer. And so. I think he's going to be gone. Um, I think yeah. he's in New York or Chicago next year. They should. What they should do is max out Reggie Jackson, who <laughs> has turned into like evolutional Steph Curry right now. Yeah. So I, I don't know what they're going to do, but uh, I think if they're willing to eat the cost, this is the right move. Um, and sometimes teams are willing to do it. And sometimes teams like the Kings are not willing to do it. And that's how you get stuck with Luke Walton for multiple years. So. Yeah. Did you not just hear my preamble about the Wizards letting the contract expire? I think, I think, you know, you know me. I'm, I'm on the record saying the Wiz should just blow it all up. Yeah, but I didn't even have faith that they would make this move because that's how much of like a status quo franchise they are, um, where they're literally not aiming to win a title. Like you ask them what the goal is, the goal is playoffs. Yeah, that's what sells. You know, get an extra couple games of ticket revenue. Well, I mean, that's most franchises in the NBA, to be honest. It is, but most franchises have at least ha- competed for a title in the last fifty <laughs> years. Like even the sorry ass Kings had a three year run where they could legitimately have won the title. Yeah, fair. Um. Any fr- except Charlotte. Charlotte is probably like the most woebegone franchise. And hey, hey, they just got the rookie of the year, which was like the eleventh biggest story of the day. Yeah, but okay, let, way, me, let me let me ahead. talk. I uh, know. Go ahead. Sorry, I was gonna say, why was rookie of the year the last award announced? Like it's best picture at the Oscars. Like it was we weird. already got MVP, we already got All NBA, and it's like I honestly thought that Lamelo had been named that three weeks ago. I actually thought it was the most shocking out of every single award. Um, you knew he was going to win, man. It should have been Anthony Edwards. Should have, would have, could have, but I told you it was going to be LaMelo. Anthony yeah, Edwards f- was not going to get credit for those first 20, 30 games. LaMelo missed 22, 21, 22 games. Anthony should have sat out the way he started. Look, <laughs> I love Anthony Edwards. I'm just saying, like, he was Dude, scoring you know like 18. true shooting percentage is like one percentage off. It's like Edwards is 52 and Lamelo is 53. So there's not some massive gap. Let me let me give you a little wisdom. You know how they always say first impressions last. It couldn't yeah. be more true than with this because when Lamelo came back from injury, he was actually terrible, and nobody even noticed yeah, because they'd already were like, oh wow, Lamelo's amazing. Yeah. And Anthony Edwards was awesome, and Minnesota was good down the stretch. Yeah. Um, so on a side note, do you remember that first lead class we did at Booth with the first impressions? Yeah. That was, oh, that was dude, funny. I got some. <laughs> yeah, for those listening, we had like these little cohorts, like groups of six during orientation, right? And they like everyone had to write anonymously on like little stickies or something what they thought of the other people in the group based on like what it was like an hour of interaction or something. Like that. Not even an hour, dude. It was like ten minutes. Ten minutes. I feel like I got a lot of like laid back possibly asleep possibly i got one that was unlike any i've ever heard about my in my life i got one that was like looks like a standoff jerk (laughs) which i was like what yeah you can call me a lot of things i don't know that that's always one that hits the mark i mean oh yeah but i mean i got one Ben simmons was in my group that would be the only way (laughs) i i mean i got one that was like oh Laid back, kind of passive, may not contribute much on a, an assignment. I was like, okay. And then I also got overbearing and controlling or something like that. I was like, what is this? Like, I don't know how these are coming. Anyways. They, based but, on our regressions project, I'd go with the second one. <laughs> but uh, I don't, uh, how do we get here again? Um, oh, yeah. Oh, LaMelo. LaMelo and, uh, versus, yeah. 
But going back to the coaching, right? Scott Brooks, I'm look, I'm happy for you, man. This is something you've been talking about for a long time. And the fear, like you've always been saying, is that Beal vouches for him, Russ vouches for him. This is an organization that likes to keep things unless there's a massive reason to blow something up, they're not gonna care. Yep. And so it's refreshing, right? And now we'll see who you guys get though, because it the grass is <laughs> always greener. They're like, uh, can we introduce you to Randy Whitman of former <laughs> Wizards lore? And then that's when I jump out yeah. the roof. You don't have a track record of amazing coach. I guess Eddie Jordan was okay for you guys back at one point. I mean, dude, this team has not won 50 games or gone in the conference finals in 52 years. So, no, there's no track record of anything. The guy that we really want, and you know, the Wizards always like to like bring it back home. Even their top GM candidate before hiring Shepard was Tim Connolly, the Nuggets head man. Yeah who worked for Ernie Grunfeld and is awesome, right? Uh, they offered him, I guess, I don't know if they gave him enough money or whatever it was. He wanted to stick around in Denver. The guy that people are talking about is the Nuggets assistant coach, Wes Unsell Jr., who, of course, is the son of the greatest player, one of the greatest players in <laughs> Bullets, Wizards uh, franchise history, and Wes Unsell, who just passed. Um, and normally I'd be against like trying to make a hire based on a connection. Yeah. But I think this dude is supposed to be like really legit, young, like innovative, fresh face, someone who hasn't had like five coaching stops in his career. Like I would love that hire. That Yeah, that'd be a good hire. But speaking of having connections to these guys, the Kings are the biggest defenders of that, right? Because we hired Divock as our GM. We hired mm-hmm. Peja as like our VP of player personnel. Bobby Jackson is still an assistant coach. Um, we, and then who else? Doug Christie is a commentator. Like literally everyone from that 2000 to 2002 squad is, is like with the organization in some way. So I can only imagine if the Wizards had any stretch of success, it'd be all those guys running the organization. And we had one, but arenas brought guns into the locker room. So they can't even (laughs) bring him back, even though they want to. (laughs) So, all right. I don't even know if we have the time for the Mavs, but I just, one thing I'd say is it's very, very funny that Bill Simmons' boy, Haral Bob, is at the center of a controversy now surrounding the best young player in the NBA. Don Nelson is out a day after Mark Cuban called the report bullshit. But dude, I don't know if you got a chance to read the report. You did. Yeah. It basically was written by Donnie Nelson. Yeah. Like it was the most (laughs) one-sided hit piece of all time. Just him voicing his frustration. And then trying to bring Luca into it to make it seem like this was like a really massive story. Um, there, Look, there's something going on with Dow. I think Mark Cuban doesn't have a good handle on that organization with all the, the sexual assault scandal or the, the harassment, yeah. harassment scandal um, and uh, accusations of the organization covering things up. Cuban obviously denied it. You know, you have this. There's a lot of friction clearly in that front office. I, I don't know, man. I, I And I don't think any of this has an impact on Luca. He's going to sign the max extension. He's going to play for them. But um, these are the kinds of things that, you know, a couple years down the line, if things aren't going well, uh, can be things that lead to a player exit, right? Uh, it's too, way too early to say that, but I think they do need to get their house in order. All we're doing is just waiting for that next unhappy superstar. Right now, the top candidates are Beal, Cat, and Dame. Yep. But guys like Zion, guys like, uh, you know, what you just, uh, wow, Luca, you know, Donovan Mitchell, let's say the Jazz lose this series. Like, that's where that's where you start. Like, Jason Tatum, you know, yep. suddenly all that young success is no longer, you know, happening for him in Boston. We'll see. But, like, that type of thing is where you look at. And, like, Mark Cuban, first impressions last, right? 
He comes yep. in as this amazing new owner, willing to spend, building new practice facilities, blah, blah, blah. Has he been a good owner? Has he gotten incredibly lucky to have drafted two generational talents? Because he did a poor job surrounding Dirk with talent, right? They didn't win until year 14 of Dirk's career. Then after they won, he cheaped out, wouldn't pay anyone. Then in this case, Luca's only in year three. They made the big swing for Kristaps. Now we know that's not a trade that, you know, maybe they make again. But it's not just about being willing to spend. You also have to make the right moves. We learned that with the LeBron uh, first Cavs iteration. We're finding it out right now with the way the teams, you know, New Orleans and Dallas are going to build around Zion and Luka, who are both, I think, ready to win now and ready to compete now. And Atlanta had the same situation with Trey. They made the right call. I don't know that Dallas will, but I do know that Mark Cuban gets a lot more credit for stuff that has happened a long time ago than most would. He does. I mean, but I think to Mark Cuban's credit, he he cares, which is the biggest thing. And he shells out the money. Like if this Clippers experiment fails and they don't win a title after paying Paul George, giving up tons of picks, are you going to hold it over Bomber? I don't think so because he showed that he's willing to invest and put, and even with Dirk, like they, they brought a lot of veterans, a rotating cast of veterans every year. Like if you remember the late two thousands, like Antoine Jameson one year would be the savior. And, you're relying on Josh Howard at one point, and like it's yeah, like Larry Hughes. Every year they tried kind of re-upping, which you got to give them credit for. But but to your point, they got to be smarter about the team building. And I don't think, and that's not only Cuban. That's he's got to put the right people in in that ownership group, and then let them do their work. And I think Cuban, part of his problem might be he's still a little too hands on. And I was just about to say, there's a fine line between caring and meddlesome. Yep. And as soon as you cross that as an owner, you have now waded into a territory you're not qualified for. Mark Cuban yep. think, probably thinks there's not a goddamn thing in this whole world he's not qualified to opine on. Yep. But at the end of the day, you know, there is a difference between being a billionaire in certain avenues of life and being good at basketball decision making or yep. football decision making, right? We see it ne- their next door neighbors. What are the Dallas Cowboys' biggest issue been? Jerry Jones Jerry getting Jones, too yeah. involved in the, in the team affairs. And so that's why I wonder, like, you know, I'm not saying he's not willing to spend. He clearly is. But somebody in that building made the decision to pay Eric Dampier $85 million instead of Steve Nash, right? Someone yep. did that. Someone made the decision to turn away Tyson Chandler, who wanted to come yeah. back after he just was the anchor of your defense for a finals team. And he won DPOY the very next year uh, with the Knicks, right? Knowing you had, like, two, three years left of Dirk's prime. Someone made those calls, and so yep, they, they did cheap out after that that first title. So I just I don't understand because with Luca, you look at it, it's like oh man, big market, another superstar. This is going to be like fifteen years of prosperity, and I'm not saying he should have won either of those first round series. I thought they performed adm- admirably for the opponent and for their roster, but at some point you run out of that uh, leash, right? At some point the like the the match you know the, the wick runs out. So I think we're there. I think we're soon. I think next year yeah. is like a really, really pivotal year for them. Yeah, and it's funny because, I mean, I, I think sometimes I think the stars leaving is overblown. All these guys stay like seven, eight years and then make the move, right? They get onto that second contract. Yeah. But that being said, the way things are kind of trending, whenever you get a story like this, other fans are kind of happy inside, right? Because it's like the vultures start circling. It's like, okay, if this can blow up, maybe, you know, there's a chance getting Luca because you think that's going to be a guy who Dallas is going to have for 15 years. But any cracks in the armor and with the organization and you read these stories on Luca yelling at her alibi with this and that and you start to get a little 
um, uh, excited, right, that maybe there's a chance to get him. And I think that's just the state of the NBA these days. And even if it's all fake, the media machine, the NBA Twitter machine is yeah. going to make it so prevalent that you are starting to get annoyed by something that might not have been, been that big of a deal in the first place. You, you get the jersey like, swaps like trending on Twitter. You know, it's like, yeah. yeah. And then suddenly you start to think, huh, like life would be a little bit better if I wasn't <laughs> passing it to like Maxi Kleba with the game on the line. Yeah. And previously you weren't necessarily going that route, but that that's what all of that talk and banter gets you to. So, all right. That's going to be a wrap for us. We covered everything we could. I'm sure we missed some stuff, um, but it has been an absolutely crazy uh, last few weeks of the playoffs. And, and of course, in this past day alone, um, Brooklyn, Milwaukee tomorrow night. I cannot wait for that game. I think that's going to be a lot of fun oh, uh, right yeah. now. As we speak, it's 194. The Clippers are up with six to go. So we're going to go check the rest of that game out. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe uh, to Thick and Thin Hoops. Please follow us on Instagram at Twitter, Thick and Thin Hoops, and email us at thickandthinhoops at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. How, how's the NBA experience, viewing experience going? So much happening. It's hard to keep your minds around, but thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.